Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the Kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, hey, everyone, thank you for joining me for session number six in the Soteria School. It's been an amazing journey. Uh, We've had some great speakers, teachers talking and everything from closing the door on the enemy, understanding what salvation entails, uh, severing soul ties, forgiveness, healing soul wounds, so many different things that we've been talking about. And I know that you are going to be blessed by this final session as we look at shifting from closing the door to really opening up the door to walk into the fullness of God's kingdom, power, and provision, and his freedom for your life. Because the Lord desires that we experience soteria. Soteria is the Greek word, the word in the New Testament for salvation. The word for save is sozo. And it actually speaks of healing of our mind in James 1.21. It speaks of being forgiven of sins, delivered from our sins in Matthew 1.21, delivered from demons in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 16. And then another example is healing of sickness is found in James 5.16. In all four of those examples, the word sozo is used. So Terea is the is actually the noun salvation, and one of the coolest, I think, most powerful ways to translate it, it literally in the original language speaks of freedom from the harassment of an enemy. And one of the scriptures that we've been looking at, on, especially in our first session that I did, uh, we looked at Luke chapter 1, actually two verses, 74 and 75, it says that, Jesus came to deliver us from the hand of our enemies that we might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. What a powerful promise that God desires that we walk and live in freedom. Salvation, freedom from the harassment of an enemy. Well, we're gonna be talking about rest, entering rest. You know, one of my favorite scriptures, um, and I, I did a message, it was on my podcast recently, Uh, is be still and know that I'm God. You know, Psalm 46, I believe it's verses 9 and 10 that talk about that. One translation says, cease striving and know that I am God. And the idea is we come to a place where we enter rest and we begin to see God move in our lives and do things that we couldn't do on our own as we're submitted to him. We're going to start off by looking at the 30th chapter of Isaiah. Verse number 15, and I'm going to read this part of this verse from the NIV. It actually says this, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In repentance and rest is your salvation. So soteria, freedom from the harassment of the enemy, healing, being made whole, being delivered, all of that comes through two things. Number one, repentance. We've already alluded to that in the previous sessions, closing the door on the enemy, forgiving others, walking um, in a place where we have denied the enemy access to our lives, legal access. And then secondly, and this is what we're focusing on in this session, rest, entering into rest. Repentance and rest 
is the key to experience the fullness of kingdom power and provision. We will look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, and this is a powerful passage of scripture. It actually historically is a passage, the whole book of Deuteronomy was written just literally on the threshold of Israel crossing into the promised land. They're about to make the journey across the river Jordan into the promised land, but before they do, in Deuteronomy 8, the Lord specifically speaks to them about making sure that they remember the past 40 years in the wilderness. You see, sometimes we need to look back in order to move forward. And it's not that we stay stuck in the past, but we learn from the past so that we can move forward into the future. And let me read to you what it says in the first three verses of Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is the New King James Version. The Lord says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Let me read the next two verses, very powerful. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Now listen to this. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens chastens you. So God chastens his children. Why does he do that? Because he has a purpose for us. There's a reason for us being in the wilderness, and God is teaching the children of Israel that purpose. Now, we're going to look at that in greater depth, but before we do, let's understand the spiritual significance of this journey. The children of Israel had been in Egypt for 430 years. In Egypt, they were slaves. They were um, ruled over. It, there was a, it was a difficult time altogether, and it was really uh, living without the blessing of God, it would seem. Even though the Lord had, was with them, watching over them, and they even prospered in a sense that the nation continued to multiply in Egypt, God had another plan for them. God wanted to take them out of Egypt so he could take them into the promised land. And so Moses receives the word of the Lord to go to Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. But a lot of times we miss this part. Moses was clearly instructed by the Lord to say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they might worship me in the wilderness. It's, that's repeated, I think it's at least twice, and then on another occasion it says in Exodus, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So God had a purpose for bringing Israel into the wilderness. Now that really, as we're going to read here, and as we've already referred to in Deuteronomy 8, was to teach them specific lessons in order to prepare them for the promotion and for the promised land that they would possess. Now, in the NIV, verse number two actually says, remember how the Lord your God led you these 40 years. In the New King James, it says, remember the Lord led you. Of course, God was the one who led them in the wilderness these 40 years by a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, 
But ultimately, the NIV brings on another point. It says, remember how the Lord led you. And, and when it talks about the way the Lord took you, it's the Hebrew word derek, which literally speaks of a pathway or a roadway. So in other words, there's a specific journey that God took them on, and they were to look back and remember that journey. They were to recount literally and, and recapture the way the Lord took them during these 40 years. We know it was not the Father's will for them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. That was because of their disobedience, testing God 10 times, and he swore that that generation would not enter the promised land. They would die in the wilderness, and the next generation would, would enter in and possess the promises. But nevertheless, the wilderness was still part of God's plan. When you understand that, you will see that there is always a purpose that God has for us when what seems like a wilderness experience for us. And I'm gonna to touch on that, and then I'm gonna put it in its proper context because many people have really missed out on and gotten stuck in the wilderness, so to speak, when they've not been able to cross over and inherit the promises that God has for their lives. And there's, there's at least two reasons for that. Number one, we believe that God does not want us to possess the fullness of this promised land, or we have misassigned the, the meaning of the promised land to something that is spiritual in the next life rather than seeing it as a reality in this life. In other words, if you believe that the promised land is just going to heaven, then why would you ever want to aspire to, to enter into it? You were like, well, when I die, I'm gonna enter into it, or when Jesus returns. But in actuality, the promised land is not heaven. It's something that God has for us in this life. And we're going to look at this. So the children of Israel were told by the Lord that they were going to cross the river Jordan and they would dwell in the land which the Lord their God was giving them to inherit. Verse uh, 10 of Deuteronomy 12 says this, when you cross over and says, and God will give you rest from your enemies round about so you dwell in safety. So in other words, the promised land for them was a place where they put down roots. It was a place where they would dwell, where they would be established. It was a place where they would experience rest from their enemies and they would dwell in safety, very significant. So our journey, unlike the children of Israel, is not to a geographical location. We're not looking to inherit a, a piece of real estate known as Israel or the promised land, but we are headed to a spiritual destination known as rest. Canaan or the promised land is a type of that rest that we have in Christ under the new covenant. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He said this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and he says, and I will give you rest. Then verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Wow. So the rest that he speaks of here is a rest that we experience in Christ, we experience it in this life. They were on the earth when he was talking to them about coming to him, and it's a rest for our souls. Now let's look at three specific characteristics of the believer's rest in Christ uh, as typified by the rest the children of Israel experienced uh, as they entered into the promised land. Three characteristics. First of all, it's a place 
When we enter rest, it's a place where we experience the fullness of God's provision and covenant promises in our lives. The fullness of God's provision and the fulfillment of his covenant promises in our lives. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Then verse 9, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. So think about this. It's a place of abundance. It's a place where they would lack nothing. Of course, this verse is referring to the material here, to how they would prosper in the natural, and they would have everything that they needed and more than enough. And I want you to think about that. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they had not enough. When they would enter into the promised land, they would have more than enough. But the wilderness that interim place, that in-between place, was a place where they would have just enough. God would give them manna every day, but they never really had an abundance. In fact, they couldn't even carry over to the next day what the manna that they collected. We know the story. So there's a place that God wants to take us where we experience the fullness of his provision in our lives, as well as the fulfillment of all of his promises. And this is exactly what the children of Israel were experiencing, what they would inherit when they crossed over the River Jordan and entered the Promised Land. Okay, number two, the type and shadow of the New Testament reality that we spiritually, and of course, not just spiritually, but materially in every way, um, inherit and, and uh, experience in our lives in the New Covenant is also seen by the fact that when they crossed in and they entered into Canaan, they would experience safety from their enemies and dwell or live in peace and freedom. I want to read this verse. I've already alluded to it, but I want to read it again. It's Deuteronomy 12, verse 10. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. Wow, there's so many passages in the Bible that God promises his children that they would enter rest, they would experience safety, you know, they, they would put down roots and they would prosper. Uh, he said this to David as well. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. 2 Samuel 7, 10 through 11. Listen to this. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Wow, so powerful. So let's just remember, let's just reiterate that the whole meaning of salvation is freedom, entering rest, having freedom from our enemies. Jesus conquered the enemy at the cross, didn't he? The sting of death, hell, sickness, disease, 
given us a sound mind. He's come to heal us, spirit, soul, and body, make us whole in every way, to prosper us in this life so that we have everything we need to be able to live his will. This is what it's all about. God is a good God who gives his people rest. It's an amazing thing that when we really begin to understand what God did at the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. So this place of safety, this place where we are free from the harassment and the attacks of the enemy. I'll go into this in greater detail and depth later on in this teaching, but I want you to please understand, guys, that it is not the Lord's will that we are constantly being attacked and bombarded by the enemy so that we have no peace, so that we have you know no sense of which we have time to be with our families, time to focus on enjoying life, that type of thing. That's not his will. I know we go through seasons and some people, some of you perhaps even on this uh, meeting tonight, you have actually experienced just terrible things. Perhaps you've had tragedy and devastation and loss in your life. And I understand that. But what I'm saying is that there is a place that God wants to take us known as rest. It is our promised land, so to speak, where we are free from the harassment of the enemy. And even when we do go through difficult times, we are still able to keep our head above the water. We're still able to keep our sanity and and retain our peace and joy in Christ Jesus. And this really brings us to the third characteristic of rest. As the children of Israel crossed the river Jordan and they moved in to possess the promised land, they now were actually moving into their destiny, the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for them. In other words, this place known as Canaan would be the place that they would live, they would dwell, they would put down roots, it would be their destiny, so to speak. And everything else, the journey in the wilderness was leading them ultimately to this destination. And I want you to understand that the wilderness is a place we pass through. It's not supposed to be a place that we live permanently. We go through the wilderness to go to the promised land. There is a purpose in the wilderness but ultimately the purpose, the lessons that we learn in the wilderness, which we're about to unpack here in a second, prepare us and enlarge our capacity so that we can steward the blessing of God upon our lives and live in this place of abundance, live in this place of overcoming and being victorious. Now, again, I just wanna be very clear. I am not speaking strictly of the material. Okay, yes, I believe there can be obviously a prosperity that comes into the life of believers. We need to believe that God can give us whatever we need uh, and beyond to prosper us for his kingdom and to help, uh, you know, sow into the kingdom and do what he's called us to do. I believe that so many of God's people have, sh have really been short-sighted in the sense that they don't believe that. But let's think for a moment, let's be realistic. What about Christians that live in North Korea? Does that mean that this entering rest is, is something they're not experiencing because maybe they're not very wealthy in the natural or have a lot of material things? Of course not. So it's something way beyond the physical or the material. This is a spiritual state. 
And Jesus said, if we focus on the spiritual, which is eternal, then we will also experience the temporal, which is material. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God will give us what we need, but our focus is on his kingdom, on the spiritual, on the eternal. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, that which is temporal, which we see with our eyes is temporal, that which is invisible is eternal. So we have to stay focused on that. God wants to take us into this place of rest. The wilderness is not our destiny. It's only a place that we go through. The wilderness is a journey. God takes us from where we were to where he wants us to be. And of necessity, he has to cause us to embark on this spiritual journey that prepares us for what he wants us to experience and inherit. And let me just say this to you. The wilderness, even though there's ultimately a place where we walk in the fullness of God's provision and there's a preparation process that goes before that, the wilderness ultimately is a necessity in the sense that it prepares us. You know, Jesus went into the wilderness. Children of Israel were in the wilderness. David was in the wilderness. We, we see this throughout the scripture, but understand the wilderness was to be a short in duration compared to the time spent in the destiny. So look at this. When the children of Israel are in Egypt, going back to the city of Ramses in Egypt. If you look on a map, there's Ramses, and then right across from Ramses is the Promised Land, okay? It's actually about a 250-mile journey. It was a straight shot because there was a superhighway that they could have traveled along. And by foot, the whole nation of Israel could have made that journey in less than a month's time. But the Lord did not take them the shortest way. The Lord actually led them or guided them through the wilderness through a much longer and more arduous trip, a process. God had a reason for leading them through the wilderness. Of course, he's very clear that one of the reasons he did not take them directly into the wilderness, uh, I'm sorry, into the promised land was because they would meet certain enemies on the way and, and they really weren't in a place where they had the morale or, or, or were prepared to be able to fight the enemy and they would have become you know, overwhelmed and faint-hearted. And God knows what our journey looks like and when we're not ready. So he, he prepares us. He takes us step by step in order to prepare us to be able to fight the enemy in due time. But there's also another reason, and we've already read this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's read it again, verses two and three. And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So the Lord desires to lead us into this place of abundance where we experience the fulfillment of his covenant promises and the fullness 
of his blessing in our lives where we enter into rest and we live and dwell in safety free from the harassment of the enemy and this is our new normal it's not just something occasional but this is our new normal we live and we reside in this place it's not an experience that's short-lived but it's it's permanent in its duration but the lord has to teach us he has to prepare us he brings us to the place where we have to recognize this are you ready Here's the lesson God was trying to teach the children of Israel in the wilderness. It's so simple. When I say this, you know, some might say, that's it. Yep. (laughs) Are you ready? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's it. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Isn't that powerful? God has a purpose for the wilderness, and I want you to put look at it this way. When they were in the wilderness, the children of Israel were utterly, completely dependent on God. I mean, the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, you follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, He said, Moses, you don't do anything except at my command. You follow my leading. You only do what I say. You only move when I say move. You stop when I say stop. And when I instruct you to do something, you do it. God was teaching them how to depend upon him so that they did not live by bread, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, Just think about bread for a moment. Bread speaks of the earth. Okay, so it's very interesting, guys, that I just want to go into this a little deeper than I did in this morning session. Um, Bread speaks of being from the earth, right? Grain is from the earth. We are from the heavens. The Bible says when we're born again, a man cannot see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The Greek word as anothen, and anothen means born from above or born from another realm, born from the heavenly realm. You know when the Bible says, be holy, for God is holy? The Bible says we are saints, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, and it talks about being sanctified. The word that is used there is hagios in Greek, and that word literally means this, not of the earth, not of the dirt. That's what the word means. Gi means earth, and ah is an anti ah is like an antecedent, and it literally mean negates it. So we're not of the earth, we're not of the dirt, we're not of the soil. We are a spiritual people. We live from heaven to earth. We don't live from the earth to heaven, right? Jesus told us to pray and set our minds. Paul said in Colossians three on things above where we our citizenship is philippians says we are seated in the heavenly places in christ jesus even though we live here on the earth we operate from the heaven to the earth right jesus said in john 5:19 that he could do nothing on his own but what he saw the father doing in heaven he did on the earth so we live from heaven to earth your will be done your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven so God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him from their spirit, Jesus said in John 4, 24, in spirit and truth. Romans 8, 16 says, we live from Holy Spirit to our spirit. What that means is the spirit, Holy Spirit, bears witness to our spirit 
that we are children of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. What is faith? Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So it actually is the reality of, there's a sense in which we have conviction, we're persuaded that we know and perceive as real fact that which is not revealed to our senses. It is the title deed, even though we, we may not actually say, well, I don't know if this is mine, we have the title deed. And so that's what faith is. That's what the meaning is in the Greek language, that God is saying by faith, you have assurance, you have confidence, you, you know that it is a fact and indeed these things are yours, these promises are yours, you possess these things. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, Jude verse 19 says this. It's speaking of people that were leading the church astray, um, causing believers in that day to believe false teaching and also to live lives that were not godly. And it says that these men, Jude says, are sensual, having not the spirit. Jude 19. These men, sorry, Jude. These men, Jude says, are sensual, having not the spirit. What does he mean? They don't live from their spirit man, but they live from their senses. To be sensual means it's all about our five senses. It's the material, it's the physical, it's the carnal, it's the temporal. It's kind of like Esau who literally exchanged um, you know, his birthright for something temporal, a, a, a pot of stew, that type of thing. So we often see this, that many believers live that way. We live from our soul. We live from our emotions, from our intellect, our rationale. We analyze things and we don't perceive what God is saying about the situation. And we know that Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the idea is, is simply this. What is Jesus saying about this situation? Think about what you're going through or you have gone through or even what you will ever go through and put it in that perspective. Whose testimony are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to embrace as true? Some people might say, look, Lazarus is dead. Jesus said, no, he's not. He's only sleeping. Jesus, if you had been here, you would have saved him from dying. But now it's too late. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus did not come to heal him because the Father gave him clear instruction that he was not to go and do that. He was to wait. He was to stay in Jerusalem for three days. And then after that, he would go to Bethany where Lazarus lay. You see, Jesus never got concerned he never worried he never said oh my gosh what are we going to do guys like i didn't see this great multitude coming what are we going to do like anybody got an idea how are we going to feed all these people <laughs> jesus had clear revelation from his father how to deal with every situation he never ever once worried because you know what the bible says in galatians i believe it's chapter 5 verse 6 it says that faith works by love there's a place where we recognize that as a son of God, as a child of God, he loves me, he cares for me, he has a plan, he has a solution. I don't have to be afraid about anything. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be concerned. God has got me covered. And our prayer life 
really needs to shift into that where yes, we make our request known to God, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 talk about that, but it says also don't be anxious about anything. You know, you can come to God in anxiety and fear like, oh God, don't you care? Kind of like, remember Martha when, when she was serving Jesus? Lord, don't you care that, you know, my sister's not doing anything? You know, and the disciples in the boat, Lord, don't you care? And and we we live from that place where we pray and we cry out to God out of anxiety, out of fear, and there's no confidence, there's no faith. But what if we came to God from a place where we just said, Father, I thank you that you hear me, that you always hear me, that you know everything that's going on in my life. I'm not afraid. I'm not concerned. I worship you, Father. I praise you for the victory. I thank you for the solution. And I wait for you to reveal that to me, Lord. I wait for you to answer. And I give you glory and I give you praise. Father, I ask you to do this, that your name would be glorified. And I know that I receive those things from you because I do what is pleasing in your sight, right? Remember Jesus, by the way, that's in 1 John chapter 3. But remember what Jesus did, right? He's standing outside Lazarus' tomb. And everyone's like, Lazarus is dead. What are we going to do? And Jesus actually says a prayer. And I believe it's verses 40 through 41 in John chapter 11. He says this, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I thank you that you always hear me. And then he kind of says, well, for the sake of those who are here, I'm praying. In other words, I wouldn't even pray, but because, so they will have a testimony, I'm praying. And listen, he's saying, I know that the Father has heard me before I even do it. He's already heard me. Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Absolutely. Jesus prayed in private. Luke 5, 16, he often withdrew into the wilderness. Mark 1, 39, he rose up early in the morning. That was his habit. It was his practice. He spent much time in prayer. And I'm sure there was a place of intercession and there was a place of, of even petitioning God for the things that he needed. But that was not his, his focal point. That's not what he was consumed with. He was really in a place of communing with his father. And out of that place, when he stepped into the, the public, when he was out before man, he declared and he decreed things in confidence, knowing that what he was about to release and what he was about to say would come to pass because his father had always heard him and his father had heard him already and he was going to do these things. So we live from that place as well. And this is really what it means to enter rest. You know, I love um, Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses. Hebrews 4, verses 10 and 11. And in verse 11, there's this paradoxical statement here. It says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now, the context is he's talking about the rest that is ours in Christ in the new covenant because these believers were regressing back to the old covenant. They were Hebrew believers that were going back to the law. And he's saying, don't go back to the law. We have a better covenant. Jesus came to fulfill and give us the new covenant. And he says, basically what he's teaching, and especially in chapters three and four of Hebrews, is he's saying Jesus is our promised land. Jesus is our inheritance. And we inherit that rest that, as we've already alluded to in, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus talks about that rest, coming to him when we're heavy laden, we're burdened, he will give us rest. And so he says this, he says, if, if Joshua had given them rest, he wouldn't have spoken of another day, of another rest. 
By the way, the old King James says if Jesus had given them rest, and a lot of people thought it was referring to Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, but in actuality, he's talking about Joshua, the one who succeeded Moses, who would take them across the River Jordan there, as Yeshua is Joshua in the Hebrew language. So um, the idea here is that Jesus is the one who gives us rest, okay? Now, Joshua could not give them rest. Joshua brought them into a place, a piece of real estate, and it was a type of what God had, but the antitype, the fulfillment, was in Jesus, is in Jesus. And so we enter rest, but listen to this. He says, be diligent to enter that rest. Think about that. That means work really hard to rest. <laughs> Some of us, we do that, don't we? We work hard year round and then vacation time we rest, right? That's not what he's referring to. He's saying there is a sense in which we have to contend, we have to guard, we have to be intentional about living in a place of rest. Verse 10 tells us how we shift into that rest. Here's what it says. Are you ready? Okay. Verse number 10 says this. Watch this. For he who has entered his rest, okay, he who has entered his rest himself has ceased from his works as God did from his. Wow. This is so powerful, guys. We enter the rest of the Lord when we cease from our works as God did from his. Now, here's the point. On the sixth day, Jesus, uh, the Lord created everything. God created everything. In fact, John's gospel says it was Jesus. And he created everything. On the seventh day, he rested. Now, what does it mean when God rested? Does it mean that God was so tired after creating all the universe that he had a nap or you know he, he went on vacation? No, of course not. He rested. It speaks of dominion. It speaks of authority. You know, in the Psalms, there's a prayer. It says, the, the psalmist cries and he says, arise unto your resting place, O Lord. So there is a sense in which we arise into the resting place. Now, as I said in the description of this for this session, entering rest is not the cessation of works, but it is the ascension into a place of authority. It's learning to live in that place where we depend completely on God. We rest in what Jesus did at the cross, but we also rest in a lifestyle of being led by the Spirit where we know the Father loves us, he's going to answer us, he has everything we need, we seek first his kingdom, we don't take matters into our own hands, we don't panic, you know, fear will cause you to do one of two things, it will cause, you know, we talk about fight or flight, that happens when people are afraid, it's like panic or paralyzation. When you're afraid, you panic, and what do you do? You, tr you make unwise decisions often, you know, you, you do things you shouldn't have done and you regret it. Or sometimes when you're fearful, it just paralyzes you and you're like, you won't do anything. You know, you just kind of shut down and you internalize things, you withdraw and you don't do anything and you don't move forward. You stall out, you get stuck. So fear is something that is our enemy. The Bible talks about it actually, that fear is our enemy. But when we move into a place of rest, here's what happens. We cease from our works as God did from his, 
But what does that mean? Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 6, my father is always working. So clearly, he wasn't saying that we, uh, the father never worked again. He never did anything. But what he's talking about here is a different type of work. See, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, we were created, we are, we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, right? Lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. That's what it says. But then verse 10 tells us this, for we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, to do good works, which God uh, hath foreordained or God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen to this. In Psalm 139, it says, every day of our lives was written down in God's book before he even created us, okay? So there is a pathway, there is a journey that God has predestined for us to all go on. And when we come to Christ, we begin to see really the, we move into a place where we should be filled with the spirit and begin to live from our spirit man and not from our soul. Now, I love this. It's 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. In the New King James, Paul says this. He says, why are you acting like mere men? Because you're not to live like men, sons of men in that sense, but you're to live as children or sons of God. We live from heaven above. So we actually come to a place where we begin to wait on the Lord. We trust in the Lord. Just as the children of Israel learned obedience in the wilderness, they were discipled in the desert, and they learned that man does not live by bread alone, by the earthly, by the natural, by the material, by you know the logical, the intellectual, doing our own thing, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus quoted that against Satan, it's in the continuous tense, meaning it's a lifestyle. God is speaking. God is going to speak. He's going to speak. He's going to speak. He's going to tell me. He's going to tell me. Jesus said, I only do those things. I see my father. I only speak those things. I hear my father speaking. So we move from a place uh, where we no longer operate based on what seems best to us, what we think we should do, but we rest in the fact that God has a plan and a purpose. Sometimes what we think is the answer is actually the antithesis of what God has planned for us, right? Like Abraham, think about that. He had a promise from the Lord, but he didn't wait on the Lord, and he got involved with uh, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, uh, and ended up that Ishmael was born, and that was a mess, right? Where you run ahead of God, and you try to fulfill God's will, but you do it your way. But God's will must be done his way. So we put no confidence in human effort. We rest in the Lord. We wait for him to speak and to clearly give us direction and guidance. And we don't do anything except in response to the Father speaking to us. Sometimes it can be a dream. Sometimes it can be just God gives you a vision, like, hey, this is what I want you to do. And you're like, well, this might be a vision. Uh, this vision might be to start a ministry. It might be to launch a business. And it might be, you know, even in terms of doing something uh, on the missions field, whatever it may be. 
but God is speaking to you and he's showing you. See, I know that, and, and let me just touch on this, and this is the sacred cow. We, we know that a lot of people take um, these tests, right? Gift tests, spiritual gift tests, passion. What are you passionate about? What's your strength? And so on. And we go, okay, so I'm good at this. I'm gifted in this area. I'm passionate about this. This must be what God's called me to do. Not necessarily so, because the disciples were good at a lot of things, tax collecting, uh, working with the public, being fishermen, and Jesus called them to forsake all that. Guys, Paul said in Galatians that he understood his calling, that he was an apostle. He understood his mission, that he would go to the Gentiles, and all of this, and that even his message that he would preach um, grace, even that message, all of that, he says in Galatians, was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The word is apocalypsis. It literally means to remove the veil, to lift off a lid. It means that God makes things plain. I want to tell you, like somebody says, well, how do I know? God will show you. He will speak to you. But you have to come to a place where you rest in him. Resting in the Lord also means serving the Lord. It speaks of intimacy with the Lord. It speaks of being one with him. And when you come to that place, and just as Jesus lived like that when he was on the earth, we operate from that way. We live from his spirit to our spirit, from heaven to us, and we operate in that realm. Then we begin to understand what God is doing. And we have complete confidence. And guys, you're going to see supernatural miracles. I can tell you that when I learned to stop, you know, to stop trying to do things, and I am, guys, listen to me, this is me. By nature, my um, personality, my performance profile, I am results-oriented. I'm the guy that I want to get things done, right? So when God speaks to me, Sometimes the challenge is this. He gives me a vision. He speaks to me about something. And then I want to run ahead and do something when I really don't understand the full picture. So I need to continue to wait on him to understand more clearly what he's saying to me. And then, of course, we begin to pray for wisdom and strategy. The apostles are strategists. They're wise master builders. They know how to do things when they get the blueprints of heaven. And you begin to operate from that place. Now watch this. Entering rest and ceasing from our works will culminate in the power of the Holy Spirit being released in such a way that we will begin to see God working in us, God working with us, and God even working for us. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? God working in us, God working with us, and God even working for us. There's actually kind of a progression. I'm going to show you this. So when I talk about good works, again, remember, there are good works that we're called to do. You know, in Titus, he says God saved us and saved a people that would be zealous for good works. But those works are his works. They're the works of the Father. What has he called you to do? Guys, if he's called you to do it, if he has given you the blueprints and the instruction, guess what? He's gonna he's going to put the re, he's gonna provide the resources. He's gonna open the doors. He is going to prosper what he calls you to do. Kingdom vision will always experience kingdom provision. It's not prevision. 
It doesn't come before the vision. The vision comes first. It's provision. Provision follows the vision. When you have the vision from God and you understand that. All right, let's look at this. God works in us. This is powerful. So many times we get to a place in our lives where we're just like, I don't want to do this. I don't know what to do. But when we come to a place where we just rest in the Lord and we say, Father, I'm yours. I belong to you. You are, uh, I'm a steward, right, of, of your kingdom, of your grace. And my life is not my own. I was bought at a price. I belong to you, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And Lord, what do you want to do? What, what's your plan? What's your purpose? God, replace my desires with your desires. Even when I'm not willing to do something, make me willing. And that's what repentance is, by the way. You know, we read earlier in Isaiah 30, in repentance and rest is salvation. Repentance in the New Testament is metanoia. It means to change the way you think. When the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart in Psalm 37, verse 4. You know what that means? When it, that word delight literally means to be pliable, to be soft. And the idea is allow God to mold you, to shape you. And then there's going to be desires, but they're the desires of um, his heart, ultimately, but his desires becoming our desires, okay? So often the things we used to hate in the world before we knew the Lord, we end up loving. And the things we loved in the world, we end up hating when we come into the kingdom of God and we have that intimate relationship with him. I'm just talking about carnal things here now, obviously. But Philippians 2 verse 13 says that when we yield to the Lord in this way, and when we delight in him and he gives us his desires, guess what it says, Philippians 2 13, God works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. The new living says, God is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So don't say, well, that's not God because I have no desire to do that. Lay it down at the cross. Repent and just make yourself available. God may change your mind. He may change your will. He may give you new desires, new passion, and a fresh vision to do something that you never ever thought you would be willing to do. Don't be stuck. Don't be closed. Be open. And when you come to rest and you say, Lord, I'm not going to do anything, like even the things I know to do, because often our, our modus operandi is when we don't know what to do, we go back to what we're familiar with. And often what takes place is, is that's not God's way. If God has called you to leave something, to forsake that, he's not, when you feel stuck, like what do I do, the door forward, uh, the way forward seems shut, you know, that door seems closed and God already took me out of that. Don't go back to what God told you to leave. Wait on the Lord. He'll speak to you. I mean, think about Paul. He tried to go to Asia Minor, to Miletus, to Bithynia, to preach the gospel. It says the Spirit of the Lord forbade him in Acts chapter 16. What did he do? Well, let's go over here. No, he went to a place called Troas. And when he was in Troas, he had a vision in the night and the Lord spoke to him about going to Macedonia. You see, God wants to give you clear instruction, but you have to wait, you have to rest. Like, what are we gonna do? Lazarus is sick, we gotta do something, come on. <laughs> Guys, seriously, what did Jesus do? Well, Lazarus is sick, I gotta do something. 
Father, what is it? And it's like, oh, Lord, you don't care. I'm just going to run and go and do something. <laughs> Not at all. We have to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Again, I say, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait. He's never late. He's never late. He's always on time. It might be 1159, but he's never late. So God will work in you. He'll change your desire. Secondly, God wants to work with us. This is so powerful. You know, when we are not just trying to do something, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. You know that? But it also says this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Now, that word sorrow in the Hebrew language means painful toil. Painful toil, that's what it means. Read it, I think in the NIV. So the blessing of the Lord makes rich. He prospers, okay, and he adds no painful toil. In other words, when God calls you to do something, you don't have to keep kicking the doors, keep knocking on the doors, keep trying to make it happen. God is inve God's invested into it. He has a vested interest. God wants to bless it, and he will bless it because it's something that he says is his plan, and it's already blessed, really, and we just partner with him. So the scripture talks about, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says we're co-laborers with Christ, right? Well, yeah, we're joint heirs with Jesus, but we're also co-laborers. So there is a working with God, and but it's God working with us as well. So when we talk about the commission, the great commission, it means two people, two parties that are doing mission together, right? So we're cooperating, we're collaborating, we're doing this together, but we're doing it with God. God God has chosen us to do his work, but he doesn't expect us to do it on our own. Now, now here's a great example. In Mark 16, verse 20, it says, they went out, the apostles, and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. The Lord was working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. They went out. They That's literally speaks of, being apostolic, apostello means to go out, and they preached, that's prophetic, they proclaimed the word of the Lord, and guess what? They did their part, and the Lord worked with them. He confirmed the word through accompanying signs. Now, I remember back in 2008, this is a true story, um, we had been pastoring a church in Canada, and we had actually a second campus, Things were going quite well financially. The churches were growing. We were planning some other churches. And then God really began to speak to me about um, stepping out of that and beginning to do itinerant ministry. Now, guys, I literally stepped out of the pastorate in 2008. And if you remember anything about 2008, especially around September, that was when that great economic collapse happened. So I literally stepped in out of ministry where I was very well um, funded personally and money that we needed to do ministry, where I went from having you know uh, significant resources um, to literally having no resources. I mean, even people that said they were going to support us when we stepped out, there was people lost their businesses, man, think they went upside down in some of their investments. And so we had no one to support us. And for the next, listen to this, are you ready? For the next eight years, we had no income. 
and we traveled, we itinerated, we went to the nations, we traveled throughout North America as well without an income, without a salary, without a paycheck. And God supernaturally provided for us. Now, it wasn't lucrative. It wasn't uh, by any means you know, excessive. We didn't have much at times. At times, we were like, wow, this is tough. But guys, we never went without food. We never got to a place where we couldn't pay a bill. We always had what we needed. And we did that in faith by the word of the Lord. Even though we didn't fully understand everything we were getting into, we knew the Lord was telling us to step out of what the church we were pastoring at that time. At the end of those eight years, we transitioned. We actually went to Australia by the word of the Lord. We moved from North America to Australia. We had... We were thinking we were going to go on staff at a particular church in Australia, but that was not the door the Lord wanted us to, to go through. And so there we were in Australia. What are we going to do now? We had sold our house and everything, and the Lord opened a door for us, and he provided an opportunity for us to minister and to pastor a church in Perth, Australia. There came a point where the Lord spoke to us about leaving, and when we did, again, we fully didn't understand everything we were getting into, but God began to lead us and transition us into this place of doing apostolic ministry now, where we're teaching and training. We had the kingdom community. We travel, and uh, we're doing different things. Again, we have no um, paycheck. We have no salary. We have no income in the natural. But God is faithful. He takes care of his children when we follow his leading because God hasn't sent us out to just work for him. A lot of people say, I want to work for the Lord. No, we don't work for the Lord. We work with the Lord, okay? And he works with us. And, and God will make sure that we have everything we need. Think about that. See, and here's, here's the last point. God wants to work for us. By the way, before we, we, we talk about God working for us, this is powerful. You come to a place of such authority that you begin to see God go before you, open doors, connect you, send people into your life. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. And that's the favor of God. But here's, here's what I want to mention too. Regarding the children of Israel, the Lord never intended that they would fight their way into Canaan or conquer it by warfare. The victory was to be theirs by faith, but God promised that he would fight the battles with them. Of course, they went in, they had to fight, but God said that he would be with them. And listen to this, in Exodus 23, 27 and 28, it says, I will drive out the inhabitants of the promised land with hornets, hailstones, and plagues. God will drive them out with hornets, hailstones, and plagues. You know, when God is working for you, you've got like weapons that you never imagined right there's there's keys there's doors there's resources there's weapons that you don't have access to or not a, to your avail um, apart from him so it's supernatural all right let's talk about the final element here and then we're going to close this session god actually wants to work for us now this is so profound this is a place of favor this is the place where God begins to speak to other people about us. He begins to talk to people, um, you know, do this for that person, whatever it may be, okay? 
We have, as Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in stature, but what else? In favor with God and men. There's a favor that we have with God. First and foremost, we have to focus on that. And then there's a favor that God gives us with men, okay? So we're gonna look at 2 Chronicles chapter 17, and then we're gonna look also at chapter 20. We're looking at the life of Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. So this is 2 Chronicles 17, verses three through six, and then verse 10, let me read. It says this, now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, amen? The Lord was with him because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in, the, in his hand. Listen, did you hear that? Listen, guys, you know, the Bible says, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, as you go preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, God wants to give us so much more. It's not like, well, God, I need, uh, you know, $50,000 or God, I need this or I need that, whatever it may be. Guys, even $50,000, a lot of people are like, wow, that's a lot of money. That's, that's crazy. Um, listen, God wants to give you his kingdom. The Lord wants to establish his kingdom in your hands, put his kingdom in your hands. You know, Philippians says that God will provide all of our need according to his riches and glory in Christ. It basically means according to the economy of God's kingdom. There's no recession, there's no unemployment, you know, there's, there's no layoffs in God's economy and God's kingdom. Everything we have need of, everything we have need of is available to us when we walk in that place of rest where we wait on the lord we follow him we don't lean on our own understanding okay so listen to this he established the kingdom in his hand and all judah gave presents to jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance and his heart took delight in the ways of the lord moreover he removed the high places and the wooden images from judah now even with all of this favor, this prosperity, his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. That's the secret. And I think that God brings us through testing and dependence. And he brings us to a place of, of great dependence and trust and intimacy with him. And even when he prospers us, our heart remains pure. Because we realize all of this is from the Lord. Without him, we're nothing. That we have a compassion we want to help people it's not about us we don't become arrogant because god has done this work in humbling us like the children of israel were humbled right and don't forget it says later on in deuteronomy 8 that i'm the lord i'm the one who gave you all this don't say well you know according to our own power according to our ability we did all these things god says no i'm the one who gives you power to create wealth don't forget it all comes from me so verse 10 of 2 Chronicles 17 says this. Listen to this. This is so powerful. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. So they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Wow. When you get to that place, guys, where the enemy just says, can't touch that person. Leave them alone. Let's back off. And you know what? Even the enemy fears you. He fears you. In Zechariah 2.5, God says, I'll be a wall of fire around my people and the glory in their midst. You see, when they were in the wilderness, the enemy would not attack them. They had heard how the Lord had fought for them. The enemy was afraid of them. 
So let's take this further. Second Chronicles 20, verses 29 and 30. It says this about the same king, Jehoshaphat. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Wow. The realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. He's the God who makes wars to cease, is what it says in Psalm 46. Listen to this. I want to close with this verse. For years, I misunderstood what this verse meant. I, I thought that if I would be obedient to God and I would do the right thing, then, you know, God would just um, kind of reward me in a sense that, you know, he would cause people to want to reconcile with me or to like me or that type of thing. But I'm referring to Proverbs 16, 7, which says this, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Now, I want you to understand this. In Romans 16, 20, Paul is saying this. He says, may the God of peace, okay, this God of peace, he said, will crush Satan shortly under your feet. The word peace is a covenant term. And it literally means when we are at peace with God, we will experience the peace of God. So when we are yielded to God, when a man's ways please the Lord, when we don't do anything in our own, when we enter rest and we wait on the Lord, and then we rule and reign with him, everything we do is in response to his leading, his governance, his guidance in our lives. Then what happens at that point is it says, this God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. What that means is we come to a place of such favor, such authority that the enemy cannot touch us. The enemy, even though he may try at times, you know, he's not able to penetrate. He's not able to get through. We are invincible and invulnerable. And what happens is the, we just begin to see the powers of darkness fall off. We begin to see what the enemy's tried to, to do to impede us, to shut us down, to hinder us, to distract us, to destroy us. It's just obliterated by the anointing and the favor of God that we walk in. And, and the, the, the Lord even turns the hearts of men toward us to, to favor us, to help us. And he makes even our enemies be at peace with us. And either it's like they're afraid. Remember it says in Acts 5 of the early church that people would dare not join them <laughs> after Ananias and Sapphira had died. It's like people are like, whoa, only those who are really serious would, would join them, right? There is a sense in which people are like, don't go near that person. They walk in an authority. They walk in a power. Listen, I was speaking with someone recently, true story, and they were talking about how they... Uh, went and they ministered to this person and they had no idea who this person was and they ministered to them. Years later, they ran into the same person and that individual said, oh my gosh, I remember you. And they were actually afraid of this woman. And the reason why they were afraid is because years ago, she began to minister to them and there was such a power and such an anointing that was released that this woman went down under the power of the Holy Spirit and she just like, oh my gosh, this power, this anointing. And, you know, that's kind of the way Jesus was. Like when he was in the boat in Luke 5 and, and the miracle happened with the fish, like Peter was like, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. But Jesus said, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. 
And there's a place where the enemy, we walk in such authority, such favor, and such dominion that the enemy is afraid of us, you know. Guys, we need this type of authority to be restored. God wants this favor to be on your life. He wants to go before you. You know, there's, Isaiah talks about even before we pray, God answers. There, I've seen that happen. I've literally seen that happen. Like I remember one time I was traveling to Africa to preach and I was in the airport in Toronto, Canada. I was going to fly to London, England, and then from London to um, Africa. And while I'm sitting in the airport in Toronto, I just said, well, I've got like an eight-hour layover in London. And I just kind of was thinking, hey, Lord, you know, I'm just thinking, I actually didn't even pray. I didn't even say, hey, Lord. I just said, wouldn't it be awesome when I'm in London to be able to go and, you know, do some, uh, to travel and to tour and see the sights. And and I'm just thinking that would be really cool, but I don't know, I'm by myself and it would be awesome if somebody could help me, you know, someone would take me around and show me uh, the sights. And so I'm just sitting there and I just was thinking that, that was just a thought. And then this couple come and they sit down beside me and literally um, they ask me, where are you going? I tell them, going to Africa, I'm going to be London. Oh, we're going to Africa too. We're going to be in London. Well, how long is your layover? I tell them. They said, have you ever um, visited London? I said, well, years ago, but and they said, well, listen, he said, we'd love to take you around and show you all the sites. I used to be a, a tour guide, and I can, I can do that. I know exactly where to take you. And literally, they took me around and showed me all the sites in London. And guys, I wasn't even praying. I didn't even pray about it. This was just a thought. And I, I'm telling you, there's a place of favor that God wants to bring his children to where our heart is just to please him, just to love him. Lord, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to push a door open. I'm not going to try to make it happen. I'm going to rest in you. I know that you know what is best for me. I know that you are wanting to bless me. You will open the right doors. You'll keep me from certain people, certain relationships and situations because you know what's best for me. And you'll open up new doors and you'll open up new connections and new relationships, you know. And, and that's what it's all about. God wants to bring us to that place where we trust completely in him. Listen, Jesus said this. He said, fear not, little flock. Fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you his kingdom. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to guide you. But we need to be yielded and submitted to him. In repentance and rest is our salvation, is our soteria. We walk in this place of freedom. We walk in this place of authority and favor as we yield to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your grace and your love. We thank you for your power and your authority. Lord, we bless you for the favor of God upon our lives, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would see your favor operating in our lives. Father, that we would experience an abundance. Your word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that God wants to give us an abundance for every good work. Father, not for ourselves per se, Lord, yes, that we have enough, but Lord, an abundance for every good work. So we do what pleases you. We do what is honoring to you. We thank you for that, Lord. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor, Father. And I pray for each person that is part of this 
uh, Zoom meeting right now. I pray, Father, for that transition into that place of rest where they cease striving, they cease trying to make things happen, they stop worrying, and they just begin to trust you and praise you and worship you, that you are the God that makes war cease. You are the God that has all the resources and all the solutions to every problem. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we want to be still and know that you are God. We praise you, Lord. Bring us to that place where you change our hearts. You work in us to will and to do what is good and pleasing to you. You work with us, Father. And then even at times you work for us in the sense that you go before us and you work and you fight the battles for us. You open the doors. You position people even to, to help us, to, to bless us. Uh, Lord, we thank you and we proclaim that and I release that in Jesus' name. I release that blessing and I say in Jesus' name that the favor of God rests upon you, son, daughter of the Most High God. The favor of God rests upon you. If the door isn't opening, guys, just leave it in his hands. Praise him and worship him. And guess what? If you're content with, hey, whatever you want, Father, he's going to open the right door, even if that is the door. Uh, he's going to open it, guys. There's nothing the enemy can do to stop what God wants to do. But just wait on him and just get to that place where it's not about what we want, what you want, but it's what the Father wants. That's all I want is what the Father wants. That's what and when you're going to see miracles and breakthrough. I declare these things over your life and I proclaim and prophesy in Jesus' name that even this week you're going to begin to see amazing things happen. You're going to see new connections, new contracts, new relationships, new calls coming in, uh, new opportunities. Even at times where you're going to go, well, I don't know which one to choose and God's going to give you wisdom and show you exactly what. I declare these things upon you because you're seeking first the, the Father's uh, kingdom. You want to do what pleases him. And you're living in a place of rest where you're not going to do anything, but you're going to wait on him. Guys, that doesn't mean just be passive. There's a place of really pressing into him because you need to press into him. Those who wait upon the Lord, Isaiah 40 verse 31, right, shall renew their strength. That word wait is not a term of passivity. It literally means to take like two strands of cord and to twist it together so it becomes one so it means like becoming one with the lord it speaks of action and it speaks of oneness of intimacy those that wait upon the lord as you press into him you're going to hear his voice as you worship him as you walk in that place and just even listen you're going to begin to see the lord speak so clearly to you stop worrying all right the bible says be anxious about nothing and just trust him and praise him and watch what he does in your life. I just pray this message has been a source of encouragement to you. In Jesus' name, this series on the Soteria School has been a source of encouragement to you. The series, the entire six videos with the notes are available in the Kingdom Community um, social network, which is connect.kingdomcommunity.global. Connect kingdomcommunity.global just go there and create a membership if you haven't already done it it's a free to enter there and then go into the group that's called the soteria school and you can see uh, the videos and the notes there okay this session will be there shortly 
Um, also, check out kingdomcommunity.global forward slash connect. Learn how you can connect with our kingdom community. We've got some upcoming sessions we're going to be doing, training on different topics. It's going to be awesome. There's different levels of membership as well. Consider becoming a member, guys. There's so much that can help you with your calling, fulfilling your destiny. Um, and sign up, guys. There's so much more. We'd love for you to, to help us financially as well. Perhaps you can give a one-time gift tonight even. Just really consider that, would you? King, let's go to, the, go to my website, awakenations, awakenations.org forward slash donate. Awakenations.org forward slash donate or just awakenations.org and click on the donate button. We really appreciate it. It helps us to keep doing ministry. Looking forward, going to be in Florida next week, then traveling to Canada, and then other things happen on the uh, Kingdom Community Conference. It's official. We're going to be doing our conference the end of November in Brazil. We'd love for you guys to come. It's going to be a mission trip and a conference. It's going to be powerful. We've got a retreat center in the hills in Brazil. going to be awesome. So, yeah, just get on our email list. Send an email to admin at awakenations.org for more information. Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the Kingdom of God. The Kingdom Community is unique in that we are not seeking to build a denomination or a religious organization. Our aim is to promote the Lord Jesus Christ, build up and equip His body, and advance the Kingdom to the nations of the world. We invite you to connect with us and become part of the Kingdom Community family. We are here to stand with you and celebrate your place in the body of Christ. We need each other and we are much better together. We exist to equip you to live an overcoming life and fulfill your purpose in God's kingdom. Through our live monthly training sessions, our webinars, online courses, discipleship resources, and personal mentoring, you will be transformed and equipped to make a difference in the world. Jesus said, the harvest is great and the workers are few. The Kingdom Community is here to see you released into your calling with the full manifestation of God's blessing and favor on your life. We offer apostolic covering and relational connection. The Kingdom Community has a team of seasonal leaders who can help you with guidance, counsel, coaching, and mentoring. Ministerial credentials are also available to those who qualify. The Kingdom Community is all about, one, creating an atmosphere of expectation for the supernatural. Two, strategically equipping the saints of God to fulfill their purpose in the kingdom. Three, connecting you to people and resources for personal growth, leadership development, and collaboration in mission and ministry. To learn more and to connect with us, visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Our website again is kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today at the Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the Kingdom of God. To learn more about the Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.